Sometimes it's easy to feel like you are all alone. Alone in your experience, alone in your suffering, alone in your confusion, alone in your pain, alone in your grief, alone in your doubts, alone in your faith. The other morning I woke up about a week and a half ago and it was just ridiculously foggy outside. Y'all remember uh, that morning? I could barely see the other houses in my neighborhood. I could uh, barely see the other cars on the road. I could only see what was closest to me. I, was, uh, I felt like I was the only one driving around, even though I knew there were other cars uh, on the road. Difficult life experiences have this way of making us feel like we're in the fog, and the only things that we can see are ourselves and what we're experiencing. We feel isolated. We feel removed. Sometimes it's easy to feel like you're alone. Have you ever been in that place? Friends, on this All Saints Sunday, we make sacred time and space to remember all of the faithful ones who have gone before us in the faith, stretching across the world and across the centuries, as well as the faithful ones who journey with us even now. While this day reminds us of many things, including the hope we have in Jesus Christ, the unfailing love of God, it also reminds us of this fundamental truth. We are not alone. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us so that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading this morning from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 19. Listen for God's word. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all Baal's prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message. May the gods do whatever they want to me if by this time tomorrow I haven't made your life like one of them. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went farther on into the desert a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him and said to him, Get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flat bread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. Eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank and went refreshed by that food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. 
After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin, quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they want to take my life too. The Lord said to him, go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, Nimshi's son, as king of Israel and anoint Elisha from Abel-Maholah, Shephat's son, to succeed you as prophet. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000, all those whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal and whose mouths haven't kissed him. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, Shaphat's son. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Elisha was with the 12th yoke. Elijah met up with him and threw his coat on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Elijah thought he was all alone. He was in that place. A faithful Israelite and prophet, Elijah found himself in the midst of a people who were turning away from God to worship Baal. He found himself speaking on God's behalf to the unfaithful Israelite king Ahab, who had created an altar to Baal. Ahab married a woman named Jezebel, and Jezebel ordered that a great number of Israel's prophets, folks just like Elijah, be killed. Elijah told Ahab that, that there would be a famine in the land, and there was. And after three years of famine, Elijah went back to Ahab and told him to gather all the prophets of Baal, to gather all the Israelites, and to assemble at Mount Carmel. Elijah told the Israelites gathered there that he was the only prophet left, but that Baal's prophets numbered 450. And then in kind of a, a divine challenge, uh, Elijah told the prophets of Baal to, to, to build an altar, to prepare a bull for an offering. And Elijah also prepared a bull for an offering. And whoever's God answered with fire would be real. So the prophets of Baal built the altar. They got their bull. They called upon uh, Baal. They did this strange hopping dance and nothing happened. Elijah even started to make fun of them. Well, don't worry about it. Maybe, you know, Baal's just sleeping or on vacation. Finally, Elijah, uh, and then, then they actually did more crazy stuff like cutting their arms and, and all of this other things and still nothing, of course. And finally, Elijah constructs an altar and Elijah put his offering in and then he drenched everything with water. And Elijah prayed and called on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and fire fell and consumed the offering, the altar, and the water. Elijah told the people, this is the Lord. And then they told the people to seize the prophets of Baal and not let any escape. And all of those Baal prophets were put to death. And Elijah then tells King Ahab, hey, I think I hear rain coming. This is super, super dramatic stuff. However, when, when Ahab told Jezebel what had happened, she sent a message to Elijah saying that she wanted him dead, just like all the other prophets. So Elijah is terrified. He's terrified and he feels alone. He runs for his life and he goes into the desert alone. And he finally 
uh, finally sits under a broom tree and he longs for his own death, right? We heard what he said. God, it's more than enough. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. I'm a failure. Just take my life. He feels all alone. An angel appears reminding him that he's not and, to, to, and that, to, that he needs to eat something and, and bre- baked bread and water appear there beside his head and he, and he eats and drinks. And in the strength of that, that food, Elijah gets up and he journeys even further into the wilderness all the way to Horeb, which was God's mountain. And he spends the night in the cave. God asks Elijah why he's there and Elijah says, I've been so passionate for the Lord God. Uh, but Israel has abandoned your covenant. I'm the only one left, and now they want to take my life. Did you hear that? Elijah feels like he's all alone. God says that God will pass by. A strong wind rushes through, but God's not in the wind. A strong earthquake shakes the ground. God's not in the earthquake of fire. God's not in the fire. And then there's the thin, quiet sound, and Elijah feels and experiences God's presence. God asks Elijah again the same question. Elijah, why, why are you here? And Elijah answers the same way. I've tried to be faithful, but your people haven't. I'm the only one left. You hear that? Elijah feels like he's all alone. He's afraid. He thinks he's the only one left, still crazy enough to, to trust and obey the one true God, Yahweh. It's a very lonely place to be. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that God has now already shown in multiple ways that Elijah is not, in fact, alone, that the Lord God Almighty is with him, but yet Elijah still feels the way that he does. God had sent an angel with a message and food. God had appeared and spoken in a still small voice there on the mountain. I mean, at this point, like, God could have become slightly annoyed and frustrated with Elijah. Like, dude, I'm here. You are not alone. What more do you need? But God did not. Truth is, sometimes the most powerful way that we are reminded that we're not alone isn't in an earthquake, fire, wind, still small voice appearances from God. It's with the saints. It's with other people in whom God's light shines. Here's what God tells Elijah. You're not alone. I've preserved 7,000 Israelites. Folks who haven't deserted me, who haven't bent their knees before Baal, go back. You're not alone. There are other people like you. And Elijah finds the strength and the courage to go back. And the very first thing that happens when he gets back is that he finds the very person who will succeed him as prophet in Israel, Elisha. Elijah is not alone. You see, when Elijah was in that place of confusion and pain and doubt and despair and fear, when God, when he thought that he was all alone, God gave him some pretty powerful reminders. But ultimately, God showed him that he was a part of a community, a community of people trying to trust and obey God just like him, struggling against the tide just like him. Friends, we we have a 7,000. We have more than a 7,000. We are surrounded by a communion of saints, a cloud of witnesses. 
Has God ever reminded you in a moment when it felt like you were all alone that in fact you weren't? In a moment of feeling alone, have you ever experienced the presence of the saints, past and present, whether in story or embodied, followers of Jesus who came alongside and reminded you that you were not alone in whatever you were going through? That there were others who shared your journey or who were willing to share it with you now? I've shared this many times before, but the most isolating, hard, confusing experience of my life was experiencing the pain and loss of two miscarriages back to back. I remember feeling a bit like Elijah, like I felt like I was the only one going through this. I felt like we had been faithful, so why wasn't God being faithful? And just like Elijah, even some very personal reassurances from Scripture that God was somehow personally present with us wasn't enough. It wasn't comforting enough. But that's when we were surrounded by the company of saints. That's when other followers of Jesus came out of the woodwork telling us, you're not alone. We've experienced that too, and we're here for you. We know what you're going through. It was truly astounding the number of people who came forward and told us that they had suffered miscarriage too. And it helped to pull us out of the fog where all we could see was ourselves in that horrible situation where all of a sudden we, we didn't see a fog, we saw a cloud of witnesses to God's powerful love. Felt like this holy huddle of people rallying around us. Friends, no matter, no matter what you're going through, no matter how alone with something you might feel at this very moment, each and every one of us has a holy huddle. Each of us has a cloud of witnesses. Each of us has people past or present that are God's very real and tangible presence, a way of ministering to us in our perceived aloneness to tell us that we are not alone. There is nothing that we have gone through. There is nothing that we are going through. There is nothing that we will go through that somewhere, sometime, another follower of Jesus has not also gone through. When we're weary, when we're overwhelmed, when we're fighting a battle, we can remember folks like Moses or Miriam, Mary or Joseph, Paul or Silas, Harriet Tubman, our grandfather, our grandmother, our mother, our father, or look to the people who surround us and love us now. On All Saints Sunday, maybe just like God reminded Elijah, God is reminding us that in some mysterious and some beautiful way, we are connected with saints, whether they've gone before us already and finished their life or whether they're living it right now. Maybe God is saying, hey, remember them and their stories? Look at them, take heart. There are others. You are not alone. You are not alone. One of my favorite images that I've always connected with All Saints Sunday is this one. Uh, it's a picture of, of a great multitude of people closely packed together, holding candles as on a journey, on a way together, headed somewhere. And I've always imagined them journeying toward God. 
There's a glow, a warmness to how they look, almost as if they're radiating with love and, and hope. I wonder if All Saints Sunday is a reminder for us that when we're in those moments when we feel alone, when we look around and, and it looks like fog and like we're the only ones in it, I wonder if it's a reminder to gaze a little bit harder with our eyes of faith, to, to not see fog and aloneness, but to see this instead. People holding the candle of faith and hope and trust even when we can't. People inviting us to find ourselves on the journey with them, moving through life with the highs and the lows, headed toward God. People that we ultimately remember or recognize as fellow followers of Jesus, our family members, our church family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. In fact, maybe that's a big part of the calling of a saint. On this All Saints Sunday, maybe this story doesn't just give us the comfort and hope when we feel all alone like Elijah, but reminds us that we are called to be a part of the 7,000, so to speak. We are called to be a part of the cloud, the crowd, the, the holy huddle for others reminding them that they are not alone. We are called to be saints too, not through our own effort or merit, but through God's grace. We are prompted by God's grace to, to journey and carry the candle of faith and hope for others when they can't manage to do so for themselves. What if we are saints? What if we are saints when we are the tangible way that God shows people they're not alone? When we embody God's loving presence. You know, the definition of saint varies. In some traditions, a saint is one specially recognized through canonization as preeminent for holiness. Some define saints as those who have departed this life and are in heaven. Some define saints as one of God's chosen people. Some define saints as those who exhibit great virtue and piety. Saints are certainly all of those things. There are saints on earth and saints in heaven, but a big part of what makes them saints, a big part of what makes them exemplify the Christian life is that they reflect God's character of being present with us and for us. Yes, sometimes we feel all alone. Have you ever been in that place? If you have been, or if you are now, or when you do in the future, take heart. Take heart. You are surrounded by saints. They might just be the comfort and reassurance from God to remind you that you are not alone. Thanks be to God. For those saints who have faithfully run the race and whose witness encourages us. Thanks be to God for the saints who are faithfully running the race beside us and with us, even now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.